Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Truth and movies. Today, Viola Davis is planning a heist in Steve McQueen's crime thriller Widows. No one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Actor Paul Dano makes his directorial debut with Wildlife, starring Carey Mulligan and Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm 34. Does that seem like the wrong age? And for Film Club, it's back to Steve McQueen as we revisit his second feature, the sex addict character study Shame. If you had a choice to live in the past or the future, and you could be anything you wanted to be. What would you be? All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Yes, it's Michael Leader here, back in the host chair after a few weeks away. Thank you to Nick Duncar for hosting for the last few weeks. And I'm sitting across from a veritable crack team of Little White Lies contributors here, David Jenkins and Sophie Monks Kaufman. Hey, welcome. What up? So I've been away for a few weeks. Uh, David, what have I missed in the Little White Lies world? Oh, what have you missed? Indeed, so much happening, a whirlwind of fun and frolics. Um, probably one thing that to mention is that our podcast listeners might not know that we also make a magazine, mm-hmm. which uh, comes out in shops. And our new issue is out now, issue 77, and it's uh, inspired by the film Roma, which is the new movie by Alfonso Cuaron, who mm-hmm. did Gravity and Children of Men and the only good Harry Potter film. So, yeah. Have a look at that one. Roma, the film, comes out uh, just before Christmas. It's a Netflix film, so... Uh, but it will have a short theatrical run. In. Yes. Hear it here first. It's one to tr- maybe try and see in the cinema mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Netflix. But and it's, or it, it's, both. It feels like it's a very cinematic film. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, it feels like, you know, we're like harumphing people to see at the cinema because everyone always says that as if every film needs to be seen at the cinema. But this one really repays that surround sound and that huge screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dolby Atmos is the way to go. I mean, this this sounds awful, isn't it? We're like saying, <laughs> make sure you buy, you know, platinum gold-plated rims for your Ford Fiesta. But, you know, if you see what... <laughs> if you take one hectoring film critic <laughs> to, uh, at face value, then, you know, go and see this one at the film. And we know that film critics make no difference. But uh, Little White Lies in shops now or online in now? In shops now, online Brilliant. now, everywhere now. The Roma so issue. Go and get it. Sophie, do you have any news to bring up to speak Well, with? it's funny that you asked, Michael, because my... Almost as if he knew. <laughs> <laughs> almost as if he anticipated. Yes, almost as if we'd had a conversation earlier and that this wasn't entirely spontaneous, but this is dangerous ground I'm heading on. Uh, no, I, so I am proud to be one of three authors to have written a book 
Of all things, it's a collaboration between Little White Lies and HarperCollins, and we put out this series called Close Ups, and uh, hopefully it's the beginning of a long-running series. But my contribution to this first batch of three is on Wes Anderson, and my lord, I sweated my soul into that, if it's not... That's not too horrible an image. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm very proud of it. I did the opposite of phone it in. It's bloodletted, and David edited it, uh, and I could not have done it without him. Anyway, that and the other two, which are by Mark Ash and Charles Bromasco, all available from November the 15th, which is a Thursday, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the other two on New York movies and vampire movies, Chad. So there's a Quite whole a spread, there. you know, it's all all cinema is there basically <laughs> in these three books. And, yeah, uh, and that will be three genres, aren't yeah. they? Vampire New York and Wes Anderson. The, the three, three, three main genres, yeah. 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 And that's online littlewhitelies.com. Yep, you can get that from the mm-hmm. little the shop on the little white lies website and okay. other uh, monolithic um, <laughs> brick and mortar online outlets. <laughs> so before there were podcasts and Twitter, there were these things called shops, exactly. where magazines and books are sold. It's on, a, it's on something called paper. So great, fantastic. Uh, but let's get back to this week's let's new stop releases. Shilling products, eh? Never. <laughs> let's try and shill other people's products that are in cinemas this week. First up, we have Steve McQueen with Widows. A bank heist goes wrong and it's up to the crew's grieving wives to finish the job in this new film from director Steve McQueen, based on the 80s TV series created by Linda LaPlante. Viola Davis leads this unlikely gang, joined by the likes of Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki and newcomer Cynthia Erivo. Here's a clip in which our posse runs through the plan. Our go date is in three days, the night of the debate. Now all of our work is worth nothing if we don't move this money in fast. The notebook says $5 million. That's exactly the amount of money Mulligan was accused of taking in commission kickbacks. So over here we have $2 million. 20 Tupperware boxes, each box has $100,000 in $100 bills. It weighs 44 pounds. Now over here we have $2 million. 40 Tupperware boxes, each box has $50,000 in $50 bills. It weighs 88 pounds. I feel like I'm in school. Tell me about it. We gotta start thinking like professionals. We're in business together. There's not going to be some cozy reunion. After this job, we're done. We have three days to look and move like a team of men. The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. The question is, do we have the balls to pull off this review of Widows? Sophie, Steve McQueen, a director of some renown, Hunger, Shame, 12 Years a Slave, now Widows. Are you excited? I was. I'm a huge Steve McQueen fan, as we will get onto when we enter film club. And so I was excited for Widows. I mean, that cast is astonishing. Um, And it really was not a film that contained what I love about Steve McQueen, which isn't Mm. to say that I didn't enjoy the film, which I very much did. But it's uh, he's doing something different here. You know, those three films, his first three films, are very hardcore art house. I mean, you could describe them as a historical epic and a character study and then a historical epic character study, but <laughs> they really feel like their own discrete genres. Whereas Widows is a heist movie. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to incur wrath of people, you could call it an elevated heist movie. <laughs> You know, uh, Steve McQueen recently gave an interview to The Independent where he complained that male critics didn't get it. Uh, like They didn't get he, the element of how it's women coming together and how he was therefore able to cast actresses that don't usually get such top billing. And yeah, that element is in there, but I think it's a kind of 
a dog whistle cinema. And if you allow me to unpack what that means, it's like a film that works on one level as a kind of straight genre film, but then for people who are maybe more clued into the subtleties of the issues, it's another film. So for me, I watched Widows and I, I really enjoyed it as a piece of filmmaking. Apart from anything else, Steve McQueen, he knows how to make images flow. He's got this team that have worked with him across all his four films, cinematographer Sean Bobbett, edited Joe Walker. He just makes films that are a pleasure to watch and I really enjoyed Widows, but I didn't necessarily get a big political impact statement from it, even mm. though within it there is racial politics, gender politics, the lot. For me, it was a really enjoyable genre movie. Mm. Was this an enjoyable genre movie for you, David? Or And explain some of these social fabric kind of themes that are in there as well. Well, yeah, and no, I agree with what you're saying there. Like, I think one of the things the film is trying to do is it's trying to be this big, enjoyable, multiplex mm. genre film, but it's also trying to have all this kind of political undercurrent as mm. well. You know, which includes the casting, which is you know, ge- you know, gender reversal of what we kind of take as the the kind of traditional heist movie, mm-hmm. which is a male-dominated genre. He wanted the kind of fun heist element, but it meant that he could only really name-check or just you know touch upon very slightly some of the sort of political undercurrents. Mm-hmm. There's a th- a very small element that um, looks at the idea of racial profiling by police and police brutality and it's done as an as a, an almost aside mm-hmm. and it almost feels like a weird thing to kind of crowbar into the film because it doesn't really connect to anything else in the film it's, it's its own little kind of oh i just want to name check police brutality here as a little aside and mm-hmm. but yeah it's, it's it's a strange one i mean steve mcqueen you know his career began as a celebrated artist mm-hmm. like visual artist did video work and photography and won many many prizes and then he made this film hunger which almost felt like a sort of transitional work between art and cinema is a very kind of you know almost sort of ambient take on um hunger strikes mm-hmm. what's the guy called that it's about bobby sands. Um, bobby sands of course yeah and it seems to me like with with shame and 12 years a slave he's kind of edged ever closer to a more kind of mainstream hollywoodized cinema and with that 12 years a slave he kind of almost got that kind of midpoint by mm-hmm. you know being kind of embraced by the academy it almost feels like if he were to continue on the trajectory that he's taken with widows that the next film he would be making would be like a marvel movie because mm-hmm. cuz it, it you know every time he's sort of taking a bigger bite of the cherry it's almost like there's a character in the film played by Colin Farrell who is the who is a sort of corrupt politico who you know you may think what at one time he was kind of down with the people and you know really genuine about what he was doing but you know the the lure of uh, of money and wealth and being able to like take advantage of the, of his position has sort of you know increasingly got too much for him and that's kind of where the the heist element of the film comes in mm-hmm. we should say though he's great at sketching characters like the number of performances in this movie mm-hmm. it's fun and chewy and you know you've got robert duval literally spitting in one scene he's so mad and Daniel Kaluuya who most people know from playing this very sympathetic victim in Get Out in this film it's a 180 he is terrifying every time he's on screen he plays a character called Jatem and that is ironic uh, you will not love Daniel Kaluuya in this. He reminded me of Anton Sugar in uh, in No Country for Old Men. A quiet menace, right? He's got yeah. that kind of. There's a scene in the beginning where there are these two like kind of flunkies who have like mucked up, and he's sort of he's basically cat and mousing them, in, and it's just absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and the widows themselves, Sophie, you, you mentioned that 
Steve McQueen was given the opportunity with this to cast people in lead roles who probably wouldn't have roles like this. Viola Davis being somebody who on in TV world is huge but still hasn't had that breakout mainstream Hollywood role. How is she in this film? Oh, she's phenomenal. She's the centre of gravity. She's got this regal poise. So uh, the film opens, I think this is the first shot, it's a, 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 a God's Eye View shot of her in bed with Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the off, she's portrayed as this sensual figure. And then instantly you get this high scone run that dispatches her husband and three other husbands. And then she's menaced by uh, the Jamal, who is fighting Colin Farrell for this position uh, of alderman. She's a character under a lot of duress and she maintains a steely dignity. She's great. All the, I mean, we should talk about the performances by the Widows actresses, which are across the board fantastic. Like Elizabeth Debicki is very touching. She's an actress who also recently was in The Tale and that played a, a hideous character. And in this, she plays a very sympathetic character who is trying to really crawl away from the role of domestic abuse victim throughout the whole film. She's just used to being kicked. That's the role she's accustomed to. And her arc involves her learning how to stand up for herself. And she imbues that with so much so much poignancy. And yeah, Michelle Rodriguez, her character has a little bit less range, but she's still a pleasure to watch. And then Cynthia Erivo is a revelation. Cynthia Erivo is going to have an amazing career. She was already in Bad Times at the El Royale. She and Jeff Bridges in that film really carried it. In this, she gets roped in with the widows to be a getaway driver, and there's a great scene of her working out, and she's she just got this real coiled physical presence. And that was my favourite shot of the film, actually. Can I just interject very quickly? Please, yeah. There's, a, there's an amazing bit with Cynthia Erivo, her character scoping out a house mm-hmm. for, the, for the eventual heist, and just watching her run mm-hmm. is just poetry in motion. It is incredible. And there's a bit where she kind of hops up onto this bike rack or something, and it, she's got this cat-like prowess. And I was just thinking, oh, I, I would kill to see her in her own like action movie or something. Well, she's going to be in Cassie Lemon's new film, Harriet Tubman. Uh, oh, wow. Uh, wow. She's going to be Harriet Tubman. Wow. So, yeah, already quite a career ahead of her. Absolutely, yeah. It's interesting. Will she, she be doing much running in that? Oh, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So we have quite a mix here. We have the genre element of heist movie. We have this idea of these character arcs, this huge ensemble, social themes. Is it an enjoyable night of the movies, David? One thing to add, actually, is like just sort of going back to what I was saying about these little name checks. Mm-hmm. I think one, one of the things that I think is, is really good about the film is there are these little kind of character moments he kind of pushes in there. That are just really nice. I mean, maybe it's sort of going back to the fact that, that Daniel Kaluuya's character is called Jatem, but there's a scene where we're sort of watching him. He's he's kind of in a car watching the the widows go about their business. He's learning Spanish on mm-hmm. on a tape. There's lots of these little tiny little details in the background. Even like there's a bit where they go into a bar and there's like Michael Jackson's "You Rock My World" playing in the background, and it just seems like a very strange choice of mm-hmm. of, of kind of soundtrack choice, but it's. These small choices in the background have a real impact and sort of they're the things that make it feel like maybe the template is very kind of time-worn, but Mm -hmm. a lot of thought has actually gone into sort of shaking some new life into it. Yeah, something that surprised me, speaking of these small details or background details that come to the foreground, there's a a scene-stealing dog in this movie that Viola Davis has. And it's a film, you know, either as a heist thriller or as a social drama. You wouldn't make space for a, a really cute, 
puppy, would you? Sophie, you just had a, quite a reaction there. Did the dog work for you? Well, thank you so Olivia. much. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for bringing the dog to the fore because I think David and I would have forgotten and that would have been a travesty. We'd have had to burn this podcast episode. Yeah, I mean, it's an adorable dog and it has a very tense climax of its own that I won't spoil. Let's not spoil it, but let's bring this home uh, for, with some scores in, in anticipation, enjoyment, in retrospect. David, I'll come to you first. For me... I really didn't like a, a film this year called Ocean's 8. Uh-huh. And this, to me, I was hoping that it would be the kind of antidote to o- Ocean's 8. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'd maybe say it was a foreign anticipation because, you know, it, it had got really good reviews from its festival run and it's Steve McQueen and it's got all these great act- actresses in it. And then I'd say probably enjoyment. It's a kind of very high three. Like, I basically thought the the plotting itself sometimes felt a little bit rushed and there's a there's a few bits that feel like kind of pasted together just to get to the next point to the next scene and and yeah that that sort of hampered my enjoyment a little bit so it's a kind of maybe like four four three i would go four four three sophie that's exactly the same as mine even though it was somewhat of an anticlimax for me as a huge Steve McQueen stan. I still have nothing but admiration for the way he blends all these elements and does so enjoyably. Like, as you pointed out, Michael, there's so much going on and he manages to weave it all together. All these issues, all these themes, all these details, all these characters, all these performances. And it's a pleasure to watch craft assembled in this manner. So it would be a four for enjoyment, but then a three just because... It didn't stay with me like his other three films did. Dare we rank those Steve McQueen movies as as a Steve McQueen stan? Okay, so I'll do it in reverse order to create anticipation for what's (laughs) in the top spot. So four, Widows, Uh three, Hunger, two, Twelve Years a Slave, and one, Shame. Well, more on that later. But that was Widows in cinemas this weekend. Or in cinemas now, in fact, I believe it had a Tuesday release. So you might have already seen it. Let us know what you think at Truth and Movies on Twitter or at the littlewhitelies.com slash podcast page. Up next, we have Wildlife. So in 1960s Montana, a family is thrown into crisis when dad Jerry, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, loses his job, leaving his wife Jeanette, Kerry Mulligan and son Joe to pull up the slack. Paul Dano from There We Blood, Prisoners, Okja et al. is in the director's chair, adapting Richard Ford's novel of the same name in collaboration with his partner, Zoe Kazan. Here's a clip. How do you feel about your name? I've never thought about it. We chose it because it was plain. Joe. You could be anyone with that name. I suppose. Jeanette. I never liked that. Seemed like a waitress's name. What would you rather be called? Well, there used to be a singer named Lottie. Lottie Da. How would that be? I like Jeanette. You have to like me the way I am. Anyway, I guess at my age, I don't have much choice. How old are you? I'm 34. Does that seem like the wrong age? Would you like it better if I said I was 50? No. 34 is all right. All right. Well, I won't be this age forever, so don't get used to it. Kerry Mulligan and Ed Oxenbold there from Wildlife. So, David, 
the directorial debut of Paul Dano, uh, actor of, of some renown over the years. Uh, were you excited about battering down the doors to see this? I've got to say no, in that I'm probably not excited. It's rare to be that I'm going to be excited by a film directed by an actor. Uh-huh. And I mean, that that's maybe sounds like an awful sweeping statement and trashing a lot of hopes and dreams for, for people. You, know, you only have to cast your mind back to Tom Hanks's Larry Crown to remember the horror of uh, when, when actors have basically been given a sort of little side pop. Well, what about Tom Hanks' Is That Thing You Do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was quite a nice film, wasn't it? <laughs> I think it's a film that if it, it had the, all the credits taken off it and you were seeing it in a kind of um, immersion chamber situation, which is kind of like what cinema is, um, <laughs> I think you could probably guess. And someone said to you, do you think this film was directed by an actor? I think most people would say yes. <laughs> Why is you that? You can tell. It's a very actory film. I think that ninety percent of the uh, of the energy has gone towards these kind of very big, quite showy performances. Carrie Mulligan as the mother Jeanette. She's a very sort of big, brassy performance. Uh, she's initially shown as as the sort of demure housewife, uh, her husband Jerry, who is this kind of cliched, prideful patriarch who is humiliated at his job on a golf course. And when they when they ask him back, he's like, "No, I." don't want to do that and instead takes a job fighting a wildfire in the Mon- in the sort of plains of montana and there's this there's this idea that he's kind of risking his life for it and i think initially you're asking questions about why would he do that why would he sacrifice his family life why would he not go back to this job this you know safe job and have his family to be with and there is this kind of pride and shame element of like well you know i have to be the guy who provides for my family but then the film takes on this other angle where it's like, well, if he's doing that, what would the mother then get to do? You know, mm-hmm. is she thinking, well, I should maybe assume that he's going to be dead now. So do I need to like start think- thinking very seriously about what I need to do to provide for my son to make his life happy? And I think it's a film about like thinking about people and how they provide for other people in the family and what they're, what, you know, what ha- being in a family means. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, on that level, it it does ask some, you know, some big, interesting questions about family dynamics, but it just doesn't do so in, in that exciting a way, I don't think. Mm. Um, there was never a point where I, I was like, you know, you're really sort of like locked to the screen. I actually th- was more bored with it than really kind of excited by it, I, I've got wow. to say. So, Sophie, where do you land on the board, excited? Yeah, I was bored but sheepish about being bored because uh-huh. yeah, that's- it's... It's True. a it's a likable film, and you know it feels a little bit like kicking that sweet little dog Olivia. I wish I liked it more. Truly, it's got a very interesting setup. You know, it subverts this classical image of a nuclear family where dad's the provider and mum's the perfect housewife, and they've got this perfect corn-fed little child. So I think it's interesting on a thematic level. Because it's like what happens when that dynamic implodes and people start behaving in a way that is not in keeping with the stereotypical behaviours associated with those roles. Like that's really interesting on paper. It, it just for me, what kills it a bit is it doesn't seem to have much of a pulse. It, it has these very long scenes and they just sort of amble along, despite some quite dramatic performances so it suffers from a kind of stasis it's the sort of film that I was watching almost like beating myself up like try it harder to enjoy this Sophie these are big themes here 
Why don't you enjoy the big theme, Sophie? You're a bad person. But I, I totally agree, though, that it is a film that is almost obsessed by its own big themes. Like, right. I mean, a film that I was thinking of when I was watching this was, was Squid and the Whale, which, oh. which is another divorce drama which we did on Film Club many, mm-hmm. uh, many moons back. But that film has so much kind of texture and it's all about looking at characters and how they react to a situation where this film is just the situation it's like every line every situation is somehow very kind of carefully neatly keyed back into like oh what but what is that you know it's Mm -hmm. all about this you know when the family is breaking down then this is all you think about Mm -hmm. there's the ed oxenbold joe he has he has a, a girlfriend character and it's like Absolutely apropos of nothing, almost. She's only a handful of scenes just there when he needs someone else to talk to. Well, adding to my burden of guilt, I did interview Paul Dana and Zoe Kazan, and they were absolutely lovely. Not that a film critic is under any obligation to be affected by those paltry things, emotional connections. But um, they were talking about the way they made it, and it seems like they wrote a, a load more scenes that weren't in it. And the way they decided what would stay kind of harks back to what you were saying there David about how everything seems quite deliberate it was like will this scene reflect on the family dynamic so it was it was less it seems to be less about letting things go in some kind of like wild direction according to its own impetus and more about like carefully adding another colour another colour another colour and sadly what you sacrifice when you work in that way is this energy it's kind of lacklustre Hearing that makes mm. me really want to see the film made from the scenes that they excised, you know? You just want to watch people's lives and, like, you want to sort of guess how they're feeling and you want some mystery there. Mm-hmm. I just don't think this is a film with any real... Like, it, you know, the emotions are, are there on the screen in every scene, almost sort of screaming at you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I almost want it to be a little bit more of a kind of fan dance and having to, like, try and, you know... Um, Joe's character is, like, you know, he's got this kind of you know, rabbit in headlights look throughout the entire film and you at least want him to have some kind of confusion over the situation. But even it's more like you can see him being confused rather than feeling being with him on that kind of having that dilemma about what he's going to do. You know, Mm -hmm. I have nothing but kind of admiration for the makers and the and the actors, but there's a kind of spark missing Mm -hmm. to it. Um, But you say it's this actor's clearly an actor in the director's chair it's an actor's film performance film maybe are the performances least good Sophie? See I would like to see Carrie Mulligan's Jeanette in a different context Mm -hmm. she does a good woman on the verge type Mm. performance like David says she starts off as demure housewife and then she flips and because the rest of the film is so composed and exacting you don't really get the sense of the stakes of the danger, of the peril for what it means for this woman to be out of control in the way that she is. So I think her performance is great, but it's not necessarily supported by the rest of the elements of the film. Jake Gyllenhaal's performance wasn't really there for that one. (laughs) (laughs) I do find it interesting, you know, you have two actors here, Carey Milligan and and Jake Gyllenhaal, both defined quite early on in their careers by teenager roles, Donnie Darko and and education, now playing these adults at at a time where it's hard to be an adult. They're they're only a few years older than a rebel without a cause type youth. You know, she's 34 in 1960. She says she dropped out of college to have a baby. She's got a teenage son now. You can see the interest there as being that specific sort of character in that specific time. Well, I I think actually that 
that's probably one of the most interesting things about the film is um, the age gap between mother and son is clearly tiny. And like mm-hmm. Carrie Mulligan, she still looks very youthful. Mm-hmm. Actually, seeing them interact, you could almost imagine them as like brother and sister, you know, because the gap isn't that big. But on the other hand, it does. It, it feels like a quite a. I don't know. Did you get the sense the film was saying like, "Hey, kids, you know, wait." <laughs> You know, don't have a kid when you're too young because you won't understand what it means and it'll ruin the rest of your life and you'll uh, <laughs> you'll be in some like tract house in some nowhere town and uh, having to do like menial labour to buy like tins of beans. Uh, just you, babe. Okay. Did you ask Paul, Paul and Zoe that question? When you saw them? They should have done. They just but, but had that, a baby that, themselves. But that scene that we heard mm-hmm. was that was the scene that where it was like I read that as her basically saying you shouldn't be here. You know, you you kind of ruined my life. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that scene mystified me, actually. I wasn't quite sure why it was there. So, yeah, maybe your astute read is the correct one. Let's put some scores on on wildlife then. Sophie, I'll, I will come to you first in anticipation, enjoyment and retrospect. I actually wasn't very excited about it, despite the good reviews. So three, enjoyment three, in retrospect three. David? I'd probably go for the same. Maybe... maybe yeah, yeah, threes, threes across the board. I think. I think. Mean, I think there's enough goodwill there, and there's enough ideas in there. I, I, just to add another little thing, I think the the film is is visually not very interesting at all. So I just hope that next time with Paul Dana's next film, if he chooses to go in that direction, that it's something a little bit more kind of visually interesting. Can we give a little shout out to their previous collaboration? Zoe Kazan wrote Ruby Sparks, Mm -hmm. which they both acted in. And that is a fantastic, dynamic, interesting film about a writer who writes his dream girl down and she comes to life, but then he can control her with his typewriter. And it's a really fascinating and dark exploration of gendered power dynamics. So maybe if Zoe Kazan directs their next collaboration. Can I give a very quick shout out to Zoe Kazan as well? Because she's in actually another film this week, yep. which is the new Coen Brothers film, mm-hmm. Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And I think that her performance in that film is absolutely astonishing. Yeah, it's sort of an anthology movie of many shorts and she's in one called The Gal That Got Rattled, I think yes. it's called. And she's quite a gal in that. She is. It's a really amazing performance. Mm-hmm. I really like... I love their films, but I don't think that's a particular route they tend to take. And I thought in that section, the way it concludes, due to her performance, that was like one of the saddest things Mm. I've ever seen in one of their films. Yeah, so Buster Scruggs, that's on Netflix this weekend, is it? Yeah, I think it's in in some cinemas as well. But um, yeah, it's we'll just name check that little element of it. But um, yeah, six films, lots of big names. Tonally, it's covering the whole gamut uh, there. Of the Western tradition. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like Western tall tales. Very much worth catching. And the bigger question is, have you ever been moved to tears by a Coen Brothers movie? Answers on a postcard. <laughs> yeah, that's... Prove Davey wrong. Yes, prove me wrong. Well, that was Wildlife. We're going to stick with Kerry Milligan, though, for Film Club with Shame. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. If you had a choice to live in the past or the future, and you could be anything you wanted to be, what would you be? Who would you be? Well, I always wanted to be a musician in the 60s. That's cool. Musician? Yeah. The 60s is tough, though. I saw Give Me Shelter recently. You know the Rolling Stones documentary? Yeah. Kind of seemed like hell. What? Yeah, the 60s would be like the last place I would want to be. No way! Yes! Ugh, chaos. So where would you want to, and what would you want to be? Um... I do here, now. That's boring. Michael Fassbender there as a sex addict whose carefully calibrated lifestyle is upset when his sister, Kerry Mulligan, makes an unexpected visit. Back in 2012, Adam Woodward of this parish called shame raw, elegant and uncompromising. But how does it hold up here now? And more importantly, what do the listeners think? David? Millicent Thomas. I love this movie, all caps. I did my final A-levels film studies essay on the human body in Steve's then, just then three movies, dissected this endlessly and love it more on every watch. McQueen's absolute best for me was stunned in my seat when it was over spellbinding stuff and that's by Scott J Davis shall I read one more and you can do the rest sure. you can you can do the, the big one at okay, the end okay. Thanks. <laughs> um, Dan Bullock as well as being completely captivated by the sheer intimate intensity I also sat next to Tim McKinnery to watch it no one looked at each other in the eyes when it finished great topic for a modern film muddied by a misguided sibling story that derails the film and gives in to clumsy sentimentalism says Stuart Field I've got words for you later, Stuart. It was disappointing. The brother-sister dynamic didn't add to the overall picture, and although it was clearly shown that the main character was in a lot of pain, there didn't seem to be enough on the screen to allow one to know him more and therefore empathise with him. Mark Fairhurst? Finally, this is everybody's favourite comment, because we're children. His dick is huge, says Valentin Maniglia. We can't argue with that one, but we can't argue without shame. Uh, Sophie, I think we know what you think of this movie. David, is this up there for you in terms of Steve McQueen and, and elsewhere? Can I just tell you a little story about my rewatch? Oh, right. So I found myself yesterday in Copenhagen Airport, and I was in the waiting room watching Shame on my laptop. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> behind me, I had my back to a glass wall, and the people coming off the plane were kind of walking past that. So I knew, I think, I suspected they could probably see what I was watching. 
But then in front of me, about two metres, there was this kind of large gentleman who just was looking at me, looking at the film. And it was a very strange situation because I was like, you know, I had to keep checking that my headphone socket was in <laughs> and I had to, had to keep taking my headphones off and playing the film. So it felt like everyone could hear what I was doing. And I felt shame. So oh. <laughs> that was a little uh, a little fun uh, way to rewatch the film in the airport lounge. I remember seeing this film at the London Film Festival and not really digging it that much. And I was a bit nervous to come back and, and see it again. And you know what? I think Sophie should go first and, and okay. rhapsodise about it. And then maybe I can sort of respond. Hit it, Sophie. Sure. Well, first of all, I hold my hands up. This is a difficult film. And I think its difficulties are part of what makes it great. Like, to counter what Mark Fairhurst says about how there didn't seem to be enough on screen to allow one to know him more and therefore empathise with him. This is the absolute opposite of a film where a troubled character uh, has lots of exposition about why they're troubled, where they go to see a friend or a therapist and they talk about A happened and B happened, therefore C happened. The whole point is there's no context for his sex addiction, for his trouble, for his trauma, for the way that he lives his life. It's kind of presented without comment. And what you get instead of that context is a brutal and immersive depiction of what it's like to be stuck in a self-destructive spiral. And he goes in circles. This film takes place across three days. And the clip that we listen to, that represents the pinnacle of him attempting to have a human connection. He tries to go on a date with a co-worker, but the rest of the time, he just can't really relate to people. And he's got this pristine apartment. He's got this well-paid ad exec job. He's well-dressed. He's handsome. He's got all these trappings of a materially successful life. But he's utterly alone. And he's a mess. And this film therefore debunks the idea that that's what you need for happiness and for a good life by showing actually you can have a, a, like a terrible life with all those things. And it also shows, so his sister comes to stay, played by Carrie Mulligan, and she's kind of the opposite. She's just this tornado and she likes warmth and connection and all the stuff he can't give. And so what this film shows is that if you can't care for yourself, you can't care for other people. I mean, this is me talking about the message of it and the thematics of it. But it's also, like all Steve McQueen's films, it's, it's beautifully composed and it, it flows. And it, it's almost like an opera, like a very brutal opera, because everything about its coldness uh, it is offset in this beautiful, elegant craft. Harry Escott's score is using the Goldberg variations a lot and it's Steve McQueen's best soundtrack with Chic on there. And for me, I've watched it five times and it only gets better and better. And for me, a mark of a truly great film is that each time you watch it, you see something different. And for me, that's how it works. Every time it's a different movie for me. David? So the film opens on a shot of... There's actually a lot of mirrors to Widows in this film because there mm. there's obviously running sort of side-on running shot in Widows and there's a famous side you know, mm -hmm, of, of mm -hmm. um, Brandon running through New York one night and they pretty much open on the same shot, don't they? The bird's eye shot of a, of a person on a bed. Yeah, that's true. Interesting, they um, do, yeah. I felt, right, that that opening shot, you have Fassbender and he's got the sheet covering him just, just about, you know, you, one more inch down and you, you'd he'd be a little colder, they say. Um He's giving this kind of gaunt expression, like he's just had some sort of listless uh, interaction with someone, and or, or that you know he's bored. He's he's been sapped of his spirit, 
and he's he's got this apartment and and again he and uh, Viola Davis seem to be living in the same apartment mm. <laughs> this very spartan um white walled very little decor it's all kind of function it's an interesting opening shot and it's like you know you you, you introduce this character really well and and i almost feel that like you don't really need any more of the film like i think you kind of get everything in that one shot like he's it, it sort of tells you about the character and then just sort of gives you variations on on that kind of whoa, I'm, I'm, whoa, I'm a spiritual whoa, whoa, void whoa, 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 whoa. um i don't know maybe maybe you want to respond to this it didn't say anything specific about sex addiction it's a very broad film about addiction in general mm. and it's like it does make you antisocial and it gives you these inner demons and it <clears throat> it makes you judgmental about other people as well and it was hard to take anything more than that away it, 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 i feel the film works in these very broad strokes um Okay, I'm about and, to go into cardiac arrest over here. <laughs> okay. I maybe felt that it's quite a conservative film as well, in the same way like mm. that it's very anti. It's a film about how all these things are bad for you. You know, maybe this is something other, other people could read, but there's this inference that him taking on this life that is kind of focused on sex and pleasures of the flesh, I guess, is the thing that's ruining him, is the thing that is making him a spiritual void, and that, that if he were able to embrace normalcy then he would be a happier person if he were uh, and he would be able to like understand it you know he would be able to feel things and emotions and i think the end of the film where he gets this kind of rude awakening about what it means to be giving up this connection to other people it feels like quite a pat way of saying he's going to be all right kids but oh wow I Sophie, so, you're going I supernova over there i disagree on so <laughs> many counts for one it doesn't end on that note it ends where it begins and seems like he's learned nothing actually oh of course yes there's another run you've got that wrong that ending wrong and the point of it wrong from the off we can dismiss that but you don't see him get off the train do you at the end well it leaves it open it's a very open end it's not a pat end. Okay. I wouldn't say it was pat either. I think that the normalcy that he tries to attain is, it, is a false flag but his brace his his breakdown though is very kind of it, it seems to just be like well it was the release that we were just inevitably waiting for almost sorry go on okay so second of all i really want to come in at you describing it as like a pat and broad addiction narrative i think we get a lot of addiction stories that are very performance based that enable an actor to go off and show the, the like delicate refinement of their pain and we get hardly any stories about the shape of addiction like mm-hmm. what it means to be caught in these behavioural compulsions that you can't really free yourself of. And that's what shame is for me. It's a shape and it is actually a circle of a movie. And within that circle that takes place across three days, you see him wrestling with this thing. And I'm going to hold my hands up and say where my perspective comes from. You know, I had an eating disorder for a really long time and that has compulsive properties. It's not an addiction, but you you are caught in a cycle of behaviours that... You can see how they're damaging your life, but you're just trapped in them. And I've never seen a film represent how that feels as well as shame. And, you know, people who don't like the film, a lot of them talk about his his kind of very unsympathetic performance. When you are enslaved by a certain type of behaviour, it does drain you of your humanity. And I think it's a, it's a really bold compelling portrayal of it and I understand that it's off-putting 
But for me, it's just incredibly truthful. And the detail, Steve McQueen's customary detailing, is for me the dramatic counterweight to this very minimalist central performance by Michael Fassbender. So that's a very powerful point. It reminds me, you wrote a piece teasing out some of these themes a few years ago, didn't you? Thank you, Michael. I mean, we'll have to put a downer on the discussion now, we're running out of time, but we should probably plug that piece. That's, oh, thank you. about raw and shame and... Bulimia. Bulimia in particular. So that we should... Do you know where, where, where yeah. was it again? Oh, thank you so much for plugging it. So it's this American website called Bright Wall Dark Room, mm-hmm. and the editor of it is both an editor and a trained therapist. So he commissions pieces that are very interesting from a psychological perspective. And so for them, I wrote this piece called The Raw Shame mm. of Bulimia that explores bulimia through shame and also Julia Ducanor's cannibal movie Raw. But I should say I, I never ate human flesh, even at my lowest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you heard it here first. But that, yes, wow, homework. Go and read that. Have a look at shame. Let us know what you think. Did the Coen brothers ever make you cry? Let us know um, at truthandmovies, lwlies.com slash podcast or truthandmovies at tcolondon.com. Uh, what's happening next week? New releases. We have, oh yeah, the latest in the ongoing expanded Harry Potter universe, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. We have Luca Guadagnino's remake of Suspiria. And Film Club next week is 9 to 5, uh, the 80s workplace comedy. Let me help you with those. No, that's okay, really. I've got them. There you go. Okay. Dorley. Yes? <laughs> About my conduct in the office here yesterday, I'm afraid I got a little carried away. I'd, I'd just like to apologize to you. Oh, don't you worry about it, Mr. Hart. I've been chased by swifter men than you, and I ain't been caught yet. (laughs) Shall we get back to our letter now? Well, yeah. um, But, well, could you just come over here for a second? I have a little something for you. You know, ever since I made that stupid mistake about the convention in San Francisco, I... Oh, Mr. Hart, you didn't make a mistake. You see, I'll just have to make sure that the next time I'm asked to go to work at a convention that there is a convention going on. That's getting remastered and re-released, I believe? Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. It just leaves me time to say thank you to Sophie for joining me today and thank you to Sir David Jenkins. Thank you. Thank you for being an excellent host, Michael. Oh, thank you, Sophie. Um, I've been Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.